This is the Value Investor Podcast with Tracy Reinick. All things value, all the time. Welcome back, value investors. So for us value investors, this week is like the Super Bowl or the World Series or the Stanley Cup Finals for all those sports fans out there, because this is the week of the Berkshire Hathaway annual letter to shareholders. I know I've talked about it in the past, because how could you not? There's so much interesting info that comes out from it. And then Warren Buffett goes on various different stations. He was on CNBC. I didn't see him on Fox, but he usually goes on there after he does CNBC. And then I saw that they're taking some questions on Yahoo Finance now, too. So I'm presuming they're going to have him on Yahoo Finance's video arena, too. So he's equal opportunity um, questioners and... I feel as he gets older, he's willing to kind of be out there talking about investing more because he wants to get his message out there. So I don't know if you saw the letter. I'm assuming some of you did or you saw some of the questioning on CNBC he did with Becky Quick or maybe you've just seen it in the news in general. But it seemed to me that Warren Buffett was feistier than usual. I don't know why I think that, but it seemed like it in the letter And even in the questions, he actually mocks bonds in the letter. And we haven't seen him do this in a long, long time. So you know this is something on his mind at the bond market. There's changes there. Those yields are rising now. And he's recognizing that maybe that story is changing. So this is what he said in the letter. So he said, quote, It's a terrible mistake for investors with long-term horizons, among them pension funds, college college endowments, and savings-minded individuals to measure their investment, quote, risk, unquote, by their portfolio's ratio of bonds to stocks. Often high-grade bonds in an investment portfolio increase its risk. And he was also asked about this comments in the interview with Becky Quick on CNBC, And she asked him if he was talking about the retirement ratios. So we all know these ratios, you know how they say, if you're a certain age, you should have, you know, if you're 60, you should have 60% of your portfolio in bonds or whatever those ratios are. And he again said he thought that kind of investing was risky. But I did want to point out one thing that everyone should be aware of when they're talking bonds and Warren Buffett. Okay. He was basically talking his book. Yes, he has a book and it's stocks. He doesn't like bonds. He's never bought into bonds or rarely ever buys into them. He's the stock guy and he believes stocks are safer the longer you own them, as he said in the annual letter. And he said many times before. So he's basically preaching to the choir, so to speak, when he's talking about these issues. So bonds have been in a bull rally for over 30 years now, and there's simply no way he's going to convince most investors, especially those of you who are in or nearing retirement, that they would be better off in stocks. You're not going to go there because if you are near or in retirement, you've lived through you know, the 2008-2009 bear market. You lived through the big secular bear from 2000 all the way to 2013. You were in the dot-com bust. You might have even been in the 87 crash. (laughs) That was a while ago, but a lot of people in retirement now do remember that one. So you might have 
even remembered the real volatile action we saw after 9-11 when the stock market was closed for, I think it was five days. And then it reopened and it was, you know, it was real rough going there that first week after it reopened. So you might remember all of those things with your stocks. And all you remember is that bonds have basically made you money almost every year in that same time period. So, and you have taken the message from the financial industry that bonds are safe, everyone should be in bonds, don't stay in those stocks. If we get another big market correction or or bear market, you're doomed, go into those bonds. So this is the message that's out there. But I feel like Buffett sees the need to warn investors now that those yields are pushing higher and this 30-year bull market that we've seen may not be another 30 years. So there's that. He warned about the bonds and he also warns about a couple other things. He warned about taking on leverage, even if just a small amount or like borrowing against your stocks, which some people have been known to do. He also has argued that the debt can cause you to make dumb choices. I saw him talking about this when he was on CNBC with Becky Quick, and he talked about how Berkshire now has $116 billion in its cash hoard, and that gives them opportunities. He basically said they don't have to do anything. They can sit on it. They're willing to be patient. They could wait for years to find the right investment. Last year, they didn't feel like anything was right, even though they have all that cash there. So they stayed in cash. They stayed on the sidelines, and they felt like most um, of the companies they were interested in were overvalued last year. So this got me asking the question, if Buffett is sitting in all this cash, should you be sitting in your cash too? Should you be saying the same things like, oh, there's simply no value stocks, there's nothing to buy, I need to be on the sidelines? And I saw a few people on my Twitter feed saying they were on the sidelines too, just like Buffett, waiting for a bigger pullback or correction than what we just had at the beginning of February. They're waiting for things to get cheap and then they'll go in. But I just have to say, like, historically, that isn't what's happened. Um, On a side note, um, if you look back to the late 90s, all those value investors kind of waiting on the sidelines, there weren't that many that ended up waiting the four or five years there while the dot-com boom bull market really roared. They just couldn't do it. They couldn't stay on the sidelines. But it's a good question to ask because Berkshire Hathaway and Warren Buffett are on the sidelines with all this cash. But my answer for regular investors would be no. You shouldn't be sitting there in cash waiting for the bigger pullback. And the reason I say that is because Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway really have no choice. So what does that mean? What do you mean they have no choice? That sounds crazy. But I've talked about this, I call it quote unquote problem that Berkshire's had before. And I talked about it a year ago, the last annual letter. And I'm going to talk about it again because most people don't seem to really grasp what Berkshire's problem is. So basically, they're simply too big now. And the tax cuts made it even worse. So like I said, they now have $116 billion in cash. They're keeping it basically in U.S. Treasury bills. $32 billion of that came from the tax cuts. So thanks, thanks, Uncle Sam. Woo, big cash infusion. Of course, the government did it with the hope that that would somehow be spent, and eventually Berkshire will spend that $32 billion. But now it added to their cash hoard. They have even more than before. 
And Buffett said in the letter and in the various interviews so far that they're looking for a big acquisition. So how big would it have to be? So it would have to be pretty enormous. Think about $116 billion sitting there. So Berkshire already owns shares in several airlines, as you know, and I've talked about this in the past. I've talked about like, why do they own more than one? And basically, he kind of explained that this time, um, why they own more than one, but why you shouldn't. I've said you shouldn't, but they do because they're holding like five to 6% of several of these airlines now. And he said they don't want to go above the 10% holding level because then you're a 10% shareholder that has more requirements from the SEC, more filing requirements, more regulatory requirements once you get to be a 10% shareholder. So he basically would just buy the company outright if he was even going to be a 10% shareholder. So that's also why they bought several airlines because they liked the industry a year ago and you know they were fairly cheap, all of that, but... They didn't want to be the 10%, and but they need to deploy this cash. So they had to buy multiple of them in order to stay at like the 5 to 6% level in all of them and actually deploy more of the cash. So you can see how messed up having this much cash, what it does to their investing choices and philosophy. So, okay, so Berkshire already owns shares of Southwest. That's one of the airlines. That's the ticker LUV. And that has a market cap of $34 billion right now. So let's just say that they wanted to buy that airline outright. He said they would be open to like looking at some of those when Becky Quick asked him about it, but he didn't seem super enthused. But let's just say he changes his mind and decides to buy one of the airlines outright. So he would probably pay over the $34 billion market cap for it. Let's just say he paid $40 billion for it. He already owns some of the shares, so you'd have to subtract some of that out. So it wouldn't be a total $40 billion purchase. But we'll just go with $40 billion for the purposes of this example. So that would still leave him with nearly $80 billion in cash sitting there. But this acquisition would be pretty enormous. To acquire a $40 billion airline is big. It's not the biggest one he could do. I looked around at a couple other ones like, let's say, PayPal or ones like that. They're not quite $100 billion yet. So he could outright acquire a company like PayPal if he wanted. That would be really enormous acquisition. Um, but still buying a Southwest would be pretty big. And yet that still leaves him with $80 billion in cash. So then what else does he do with that? Does he acquire a couple more airlines? Does he just buy a couple of them outright? I don't think so, obviously. So all of these acquisitions will have to be enormous. He can't acquire small or mid-cap companies. It just doesn't make any sense, nor can he invest in their stocks. I get asked this question all the time when I tweet this out, like, what do you mean, Tracy? Why can't he buy some shares in XYZ company? Well, think about how that would work. Let's say you had a company that was $500 million market cap. That's like the mid-range of a small cap. It's not a micro cap. It's not real big small cap, which is like about a billion, but $500 million company he only wants to own up to, say, 5% of it. Well, that's that's almost nothing. Again, that's like $50 million. Woo, whoop-de-doo. He has $116 billion in cash sitting there. So that's like a drop in the bucket. I think he made something like $3 billion just off dividends this year because of Apple and some of the other stocks he owns. So it wouldn't even go to the dividend. Like, it, it does nothing to reduce their cash there. And then let's just say he wanted to buy that $500 million company outright, 
not just the 5% because that would be dumb. He just wants to own that small cap. He has bought small cap companies in the past when Berkshire was much, much smaller. But again, now they're huge and he's got all this cash. So he would literally have to buy 100 to 200 companies outright in order to completely use all that cash. So it's just not going to happen. He's not going to go on some crazy binge small cap buying spree. He is going to restrict himself to the large caps. He's already restricting himself to the large caps, even when purchasing stock, because of how much he'll move those shares once it's known Berkshire has gone in to buy. So that's why he was in IBM but sold it. That's why he's buying Apple. That's why he went into Teva. These are all mega caps. Those are his choices. So you don't have those restrictions, right? You can buy shares of any company you want. This is what makes you a better investor, I would say, than Warren Buffett can be right now. Not when he was younger and Berkshire was smaller, but right now. So you can buy shares of that cheap local community bank. He can't. He's basically restricted, you know, maybe in his own private funds or something. If he wanted to, he could, but not with Berkshire Hathaway. So I thought I'd take a look to see what smaller mid-cap stocks Buffett can't buy but wishes he could. Uh, ones that are values that are on the smaller side, but you can get in them, um, but he can't. So I did a screen of companies with market caps under $10 billion. Um, really, mid-caps go up to the $10 billion, but you know there would be a bigger mid-cap if you had 8 or $9 billion market cap, but it would still be considered mid by most people. So this includes the smalls and micros and the mids. And then I did PEs under 15. I just went with the standard PE level. And I added a price to book on there too of under three, which is the level I use to find value. And then of course I added on the Zach's rank. So I would try to get those rising earnings estimates. So I initially started with a one, two, and then I added the three because I wasn't sure how many stocks would fall under these parameters. And it was over 600 stocks. So I said, whoa, that's too many. The three is giving me a lot more than what I need. So why not go for the one or twos? Those are the strong buys and the buys. And there definitely should be rising earnings estimates with those two. And I got 190 companies in the screen. That's still a lot. But again, this covers the whole universe of the small and the mids which is a lot of stocks. So 190 companies, I looked through the list to kind of see what were Buffett-like companies. And I found quite a few, actually. Again, these are ones he wishes he could be in, but he really can't be. He might already own some stocks or companies in these areas. That's also why I chose them. But this is a way, you know, that we can invest that he can't. So the first company I thought of when I saw it is a company called Greenbrier. The ticker is GBX. They make rail cars. Um, he already owns the railroad. He already owns Burlington Northern. Why not cut out the middleman on the actual rail cars and, and just make those two? <laughs> so that would seem like an acquisition he might want to make. These are highly cyclical companies. So there's Greenbrier, there's Trinity, which is TRN, and there might be, there's a couple others, um, but those are the two bigger ones. Greenbrier makes only the rail cars. They have a market cap of only $1.5 billion, and they are, have been at the bottom of the cycle. So what happened was there were no tank cars made during the Great Recession. Then demand came back. 
everyone on the rails wanted more tank cars. So then they started making them furiously. They were behind and they were had record sales and everything was great. Then energy took off and they were delivering energy via the rails, remember, via the tank cars from the shale areas. Um, so crude by rail was huge. But then energy collapsed <laughs> and they weren't drilling anymore. So there was no need to move it from the shale areas, from the Dakotas or Pennsylvania or anywhere else um, via rail. So and there was no reason to buy the tank cars. So all these sales went back down dramatically. They're starting to recover a little bit. So we're kind of near the bottom of the recovery. But I looked at that um, earnings growth estimates. So full year 2018 up 9.8. So that's good to see, but almost not going anywhere in 2019 yet. But that could be because the analysts are unsure if this is the bottom and if we're really going to get this recovery. So the P's 12.8. Price to book is just 1.3. They do pay a dividend 1.7% for your troubles of holding it while they're at the cyclical bottom. But obviously, this is the kind of stock you want to buy at the cyclical bottom and not at the top. So this is one that could be an interesting play here in the transports. Second company is Helen of Troy. That's the ticker H-E-L-E. And Buffett loves these branded companies. You know, he owns Dairy Queen. He owns Seas Candy. I would put Helen of Troy in there because they have real powerful brands that creates a moat. So they own the OXO brand. Anyone who cooks knows the OXO. If you've been to Bed Bath & Beyond or you can order it on Amazon, they make the measuring cups, the spoons, um, the little gadgets. I personally like the avocado cutter. If, if you're into avocados, buy that OXO avocado cutter there. I just gave a, a, a plug for it. It's only a couple bucks. It's green and it won't slice open your hand when you cut it. So check that out. But they also own Vicks brand. We all know Vicks. Braun, Honeywell Air Purifiers. They bought Revlon. That's on the makeup side. They own a lot of hair styling tools. So they own Hot Tools, which makes really popular curling irons that they sell at Ulta, among other places. They own Pert Shampoo, Brute Cologne. All you guys out there, you're still wearing that Brute. I know it. Dr. Scholl's, those are popular again. And Bedhead, which is also on the hair products side. You know many of these brands. So Helen of Troy. PE is just 13. Price to book is 2.5. They have a market cap of just 2.5 billion. I was kind of surprised that they don't pay a dividend because they have been around a long time, but no dividend there. But fiscal 2018, kind of low growth, only 4.3%. Fiscal 2019, only 2% growth. So this is a pure value play. You're not really getting, you're getting a little bit of growth. I'd like to see a little bit better there with some of these brands. But it's pretty cheap, so that is interesting to us value investors, of course. The third stock is one I might have talked about in the past. I probably have. Lithia Motors. It's LADs, the ticker. And I chose this one because Berkshire Hathaway already bought car dealerships, and that's what Lithia has. They already bought a chain of them that uh, family-owned. It was privately held. Berkshire bought that. Um, a year or two ago now, but maybe they would want to expand. And Lithia is one of the larger dealers. There were a lot of concerns about Peak Auto. I used to own them in the value investor portfolio that I manage, but um, I sold on the Peak Auto concerns and then then the shares have rebounded, of course. But earnings growth in 2018 expected to be 26% again. So I'm not sure how they're doing it. People are still buying and buying from their dealerships and they're still getting car repairs. They do service side too. 
their PE is just 10.5. They have a market cap of 2.7 billion. Their price to book is 2.5. So we got all those good metrics. Dividend yield is 1%. They do pay a divvy. They have been expanding. They've been buying up family-owned dealerships in multiple states to add to their business. So I really like Lithia. It's one of the car dealerships that I like a lot. And then fourth is another area that Warren Buffett already owns, which is the airlines. But why not look outside of the U.S.? Let's look at Copa Holdings. So this is the largest airline in Central America. They have their hub in Panama. I do own them in the value investor portfolio right now. They just reported earnings. It was another good quarter. So they're pretty cheap. Uh, A lot of these airline stocks are all in the value category still because they usually run cheaper. Their PE is 13.4. Price to book is just under the the three at the 2.9. But expected to grow earnings 2018 by almost 20%. They're a little bit bigger here. This is possibly a company Buffett could buy outright, of course. They have a $6.2 billion market cap. Um, But I like them because of that hub in Panama And they're huge in uh, the big emerging markets like Colombia. They fly all over the Caribbean. The Brazil business has struggled, but it won't always struggle down there. Um, It's just Brazil's rebounding from their recession. And they have a growing middle class as well. They fly into Mexico, which, again, has its growing middle class. So I like Copa a lot. CPA is the ticker there. And then our fifth stock is a staffing company. I don't know if Buffett owns any staffing. I feel like this could be an area he would like a lot. So the one I chose, because a lot of these are cheap right now, is a company called True Blue. And that ticker is TBI. Every time I hear the name of this company, I don't know why I think of this Madonna song. Isn't it called True Blue? I think it is. That's just showing my age there. But True Blue, easy to remember, TBI. They're in the US, Canada, and Puerto Rico right now. They did say in their presentation um, that they just put out for 2018 that they are looking to expand into Europe. So that's an area they want to go into. But their staffing niche is industrial staffing. So that's a big area. They, in 2017, put 740,000 people. They connected them with work, they said. And, um, you know, I, I like this area that they're in a lot. Like I said, a lot of these staffing companies have their niches. This is theirs on the industrial side. So they said from 2013 through 2017, their average return on equity was 16%. That's a that's a number that Warren Buffett would like a lot. He looks at return on equity a lot in his investments and he looks for it over 10%. So that's a number you would like. They're doing a stock buyback, $100 million. They're pretty small. They have a $1.1 billion market cap. Their PE is just 12.7 and their price to book is 2.1. Um, I did see that they ran into a little trouble in 2017 because they had reduced service to their formerly largest customer. So if you lose some business from your largest customer, that's going to impact revenues, which it did. Um, but earnings expected to grow 27% in 2018. Yes, this should be their good period with the U.S. economy and even Canada rebounding now. Um, this should be strong for them. They saw $78 million in free cash flow in 2017, so I like that. And their tax rate's going to drop from 28 to 16 in fiscal 2018 and fiscal 2019. So that's pretty low. So they're big beneficiaries of the tax cuts. So you have a chance to buy any of these small caps. Um, and as I said, 
Most of these are basically off-limit to Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway. He could buy any of them outright, obviously, but will he? No, because he'd have to buy hundreds of them, with the possible exception of some of these larger mid-caps like the COPA. That was one of the biggest ones at $6.2 billion. But, um, you know, he just can't get into these smaller these smaller companies. So, you know, that $116 billion provides them opportunities, but it really restricts him, which he said in the past. He said he wishes he could be 40 again and investing with the, the lower amount um, because there's more things available to him. But you don't have those restrictions. So I really recommend investors be be bold. Don't just follow Buffett and his purchases into several of these U.S. airlines. I like the airlines. Um, my insider trader portfolio just bought Southwest because some of the insiders were buying there. So I'm not against the airlines and value investor owns Copa, like I said. But don't just follow him blindly into these big cap investments. Um, I have nothing against Apple either, but there's more out there than just Apple. He would admit that too. Basically, the world is your investing oyster. It's not his or Berkshire Hathaway's anymore. It's your oyster. So definitely be on the lookout for these small and mid-cap companies that are really interesting right now. Um, let's recap those tickers if you want to do some more research and look further into some of these. So Greenbrier was the rail car maker, GBX. Then we had Helen of Troy in the, I don't know what you call that, um, branded products kind of category, consumer products. H-E-L-E is the ticker. Then we had on the auto side, the dealerships, Lithia Motors, L-A-D. The airline is Copa Holdings, CPA. And then we had the small staffing company on the industrial staffing side, True Blue, which is TBI. So be sure to subscribe to the Value Investor Podcast so you don't miss any of our stock picks and our analysis, of course, of all things value, including Berkshire Hathaway. I'm sure Buffett will be in the news for a few, at least a few more days here. So if he has any more um, revealing wisdoms, I'll be bringing that to you again probably next time before he moves off into the shadows again. <laughs> so yeah, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We have a standalone show there. The Value Investor Podcast is there. Or you can get us on SoundCloud with the Zach's Market Edge. So you get two for one over there on SoundCloud. And that's under the Zach's Market Edge. So look for it there under Zach's Market Edge and you'll get all of our podcasts there with our stock picks. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a show and I'll see you again next time.